Hi, I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And welcome back to our next installment of the Unproblematic Podcast. And this podcast talks about two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. Come casting journey. On this episode of Unproblematic, Ariana and I have a special guest, Gavin Greer. Say hi, Gavin. Hey, y'all. <laughs> We've wanted to have him on our podcast since we started this because we all met on the same trip in Ghana. So we've been friends for a long time and we're so excited to have him on this episode. And it's very fitting that our topic is democratic protests in the United States um, in terms of their past, present and future, because this is a topic that we have talked about endlessly with Gavin. So we know that he has done a lot of research on this already. And I'm really excited to dive into this material with two of my best friends. Um, so first of all, before we get into the material, we're going to very quickly go over our current reads, watches for the past couple weeks of quarantine. Um, what I have been reading lately is a book by Lisa Holiday called Asymmetry, and it's really good so far. Um, I had it recommended to me by a friend, so I've enjoyed it a lot. So far, it's about a editor and her going with trying to find a book to write. And then I'm also reading a short story collection called Julia and the Bazooka by Anna Kavan, which is a bunch of different short stories about a woman in London who has a heroin addiction and the different um, ways that she perceives the city through her addiction. So that's been really good and educational so far. And then what I have been watching recently is called Orthodox on Netflix. It's about a girl who leaves a community of Hasidic Judaism in Brooklyn and leaves for Berlin and tries to escape her family and her community there. So that was really, really good. I highly recommend that. It's on Netflix. All right. What have you been doing, Anna? Both of those honestly sound really, really good, and especially the short story. But what I have been reading is um, the current book I'm listening to on Audible is called Me and White Supremacy, and it was written by Layla F. Saad, And it is about addressing white supremacy and white privilege in today's day and age. And she actually narrates the book and she shares it through like 30 days of um, 30 different days throughout the novel and this nonfiction book. And the thing that was very interesting to me is that it comes with a PDF. So as I listened to the audible book, a PDF, I can click it and it has like all these different terms on here. So this book was created for everyone, but especially like for white people to learn about their privilege and how to live in a world um, that you benefit from, like a system that you benefit from. So, so far it's pretty good. It's an easy listen and I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, but what I'm watching, actually, I finished this already, but it's the Tiger King. And that was, let me just say, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I was not going to watch it originally because it didn't catch my attention. But all the hype on social media, I just was intrigued. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to watch just one episode. And I was like, eh, like the first episode wasn't that great. And then like, I saw some more stuff on social media and I was like, you know what? I'll give it another chance. And then it was, I just, it was so bad. I couldn't stop looking at it. Like (laughs) you, (laughs) it was like the whole, it was just a train wreck, but it was a great documentary. And I had not known a lot about like the whole tiger and like captive, um, um, these animals who were taken out from nature. And I didn't really, I never really thought about it that much. And you know what? One thing I got from this was Carol Bass. Carol Bass. Killed, <laughs> killed her <laughs> husband. Killed him. And you know what? It, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to spoil it. But, you know, if, if you did either of you guys watch that? I have not. I haven't either. <laughs> and like someone, I know we talked about this on the last episode, but I have been on TikTok and people like made up this TikTok dance and it was like Carol Baskin killed her husband, whacked him. And I'm just like, oh my God, and fed him to the tigers. And I, it, it's, it's kind of funny. So that is what I have been watching. So Gavin, you're next. <laughs> I think um, 
after hearing you talk about me and white supremacy, I think what we have lined up to talk about later will really kind of lead into where we're at today and how the fight back then during the Revolutionary War and to end slavery kind of led us to where we're at now. So that's interesting. But right now I am reading These Truths, A History of the United States by Jill Lepore. She is a professor of American history at Harvard. She's a staff writer for The New Yorker. And basically, she just kind of gives an account of the last 400, 450 years and how America was, it was born out of protest, really. And she does a good job of highlighting kind of the different arguments of the time and just kind of showing what was going on and kind of the different arguments. So the other thing that I am currently watching is the plot against America on HBO. And it has been, is that the Kate Blanchett show? Yes. How is that? It is scary because <laughs> Had had history fallen the other way during 19, I believe it was 42 when this takes place. And um, FDR is running against Charles Lindbergh. And Charles Lindbergh was the first man to fly across the Atlantic Ocean. And he had flown to France and flown back and had become this major... American hero, everybody loved Charles Lindbergh, and he runs for president and ends up winning, supports Hitler, and yes, basically you see the other side of America and what could have happened had the voices who were trying to support Hitler would have prevailed, and it's kind of like that dystopian... um, it's scary you guys it sounds scary it sounds like a horror film is it like a tv series or is it like it is it it is a tv series yep not the kate blanchett show but i have heard of this it just it wasn't kate blanchett's not in it (laughs) but yeah that does sound really good when you said Kate Blanchett, I thought you were talking about that one where she was like not a feminist and then like she was like against feminism would... and I'm like I don't think that's the same one. Yeah, you're right. It's not the same one. But Oh, I had I had my names confused. You're right. She's not in it. Yeah. Oh, she's nope. not. But, but it that is... would have been crazy Lindbergh one yeah. instead of FDR. Yep. It was definitely a a, a turning point in history. So yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. So both of you are reading some really cool stuff. I'm going to have to write those down. Um, so our next segment is about our personal experience with protests. So I'm going to start because I have way less experience than Gavin and Ariana. So I'll go first. That is not true. Um, that is not true. I mean, I've only been to one, really. I was going to say, just... I've only been to two. So, okay. And then Ariana, you've been to several, right? I've been to three. Oh, so, yeah. So, like, yeah. Okay. So, I guess not a ton more, but one, two, three. It kind of goes in order. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, the one I went to was with Ariana, and we went to a women's march in Lansing. And I actually wanted to discuss this one a little bit because we uh, heard Governor Whitmer speak. And this was, like, yes. yeah, this was, like, right after she was elected. And it was a really good experience because we, like, met a lot of people. Ariana has so many friends, so she already knew, like, half the people there. And that is not <laughs> true. It was two people. <laughs> yeah, but two. it felt like there were more than that. We were like, oh, my gosh, Ariana. Maybe it was just two people. I don't know. But then but talking about those old ladies who were really – They were great. They were really great. And they had puppets, and they were just so funny and, like – it was, yeah, it was just a good experience all around. It was cool to be, like, in a positive environment. And I felt like, at least at that one, like, I can't speak for all, like, women's protests, but that one, it felt like everything was very uplifting, and it wasn't, like, 
it wasn't like like it wasn't like everyone was complaining about something it was like everyone was there for mutual edification and I think that's important when it comes to protests is that it's not just about what you're against yes. but what you're for and that's definitely what mm-hmm. this one felt like so that was- I think another thing that went with that Kaylee was the weather because a yeah. lot of times <laughs> people will go to those protests and like I don't want to sound I don't this sound this will sound bad but like some people just go for the aesthetic to just like, oh, I made a cute poster. Like, this is great. Rah, 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 feminism, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I feel like since the weather was so terrible that day and it was so cold, it was below freezing and windy. So in in January. So I feel like the true people who were like very passionate about yeah feminism and women's rights yeah, the are the fire. ones who were out there. And it was women and men. So it it was... It was it was so amazing, and hearing Governor Whitmer speak, she her um, she was speaking about she's like all you great women are out here, and you have everything inside of you to to accomplish your dreams, and get things done. And she was just saying how excited she was to be our new governor. And honestly, like Gretchen Whitmer, I, I think I can say that all three of us stand by her right now during these challenging times. Um, Gretchen, if you're out there. We support Please. you. We love you. <laughs> um, but it was just so amazing. And I one aspect was I loved seeing everyone's posters on like, I feel like different reasons on why they were there. So that was nice. And it, and it sparked conversation. So like uh, Kaylee was saying, we spoke with two um, elderly ladies with the puppets. And they were best friends and they were talking about why they were there. And Kaylee, I remember you saying this. She's like, Ariana, that's going to be us when we're old. We're going to be out here fighting the system. And I'm like, I really hope it is. The other reason I (laughs) said that is because the one lady was super kind and like making friends with everybody. And the other one was just Trump, Putin, like was on a (laughs) nonstop. Yep, that's me and you. Because one is just like, won't stop like calling to arms and the other one's like making friends and being social that's me and Eric (laughs) (laughs) but it was it was great and actually Gavin was supposed to go with us and we went to a different one because the weather again in Michigan is questionable sometimes (laughs) so we ended up going to one a day later but a few times it's happened that this year it happened too (laughs) we've gotten dumped on with snow the day before or the the weather's just terrible it never it never seems to cooperate no it doesn't and the the other women's march that i went to was right um it was freshman year of college so that was 2000 it was uh 2018 and they were angry at that one they were this <laughs> they they were mad and it was a different even though it was the same march it was a different vibe for sure and this one i feel like the one that kaylee and i went to was more focused um on the goal and then the other one was just like trump like you suck da 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 but like you know what i mean yeah yeah so speaking of that a protest of what you're against um would we like to briefly discuss the protests that happened in lansing a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to make an argument that that does not count as a protest. And here's why. They had assault rifles. That is not a peaceful protest. Like, I, I feel like that is um, a rally bordering on almost forming a militia when you have several people gathering weapons together with a super not focused political purpose. Because they had, like, Trump banners and then Confederate flags and then they had like Whitmer you suck and like don't tread on me stuff and it was just like what is this you know like like if I I mean if I can't imagine like calling myself a Republican but if I was and I was standing there and I saw that Confederate flag I'd be kind of like do I really want to be a part of this you know like I don't know it just seemed very unfocused and just angry for no reason they you know what (sighs) There was a couple things that made me angry about that. Like when they, I was looking at interviews and people's reasoning was just, 
it, it had no logic. It was just like, I want to get my hair done. You see all these gray roots. And she like put her head down to show the camera. I'm like, yeah, you have a lot of gray hair, but like no reason to stay inside saves lives. You getting your hair done is not a necessity. It, it does not keep you alive. And like you going to get your hair done is putting your life and other people's lives in danger. And you know, that just shows how self-centered some people are. So one point I'd like to make too, and something I was thinking about today is one thing I learned in college that I feel like not saying that supporters aren't educated because I don't believe that. I think there are there is a lot of misinformation out there. But overall I think one thing that I learned in college was I learned how to film your time with different art and reading. And I there are, are a lot of people who are confined right now and don't know how to fill that leisure time. So they get angry, mm-hmm. they get upset. And I think you see that kind of almost... It shows in like our political atmosphere. There are definitely people who do not know how to fill their leisure time. They don't know, understand art. They don't, they don't like to read because it's tough, you know, stuff like that. And I think it shows, especially right now and why we need to kind of make that commitment to making college accessible to more people. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, and and just like how much reading does change the way that you think as well. Oh, and it does, big time. I, yeah, being able to slow yourself down and like delayed gratification. I think those are all really important for critical thinking and learning in general. And I think that's something that's being lost more mm-hmm. and more <laughs> with every generation. And yeah, it's not good. Like, because le- leisure time causes you anxiety. I think if you don't know how to use it productively. I agree. I really do. Yeah. All right. Um. So, Ariana, you talked about this a little bit, but what was the other rally that you do? Okay. So the other march that I went to was, um, for immigration, and it was right after Trump had put the ban up. Um, preventing people um, to come into the United States. And it was at the airport. And again, it was another time for people just to come together and let um, foreigners know that they are welcome and that like this is not, that this is just a small group of people who feel this way and that um, what the president was doing was wrong. And it was in the other thing was that one was during high school. So um, I went with a group from my uh, school. It was a diversity. Um, I was the president of the diversity club. So we all went together and made posters and it just, it was just a time to get to know others there. Cause again, I like going to protests to talk with other people, mm-hmm. but um, there were people there who were immigrants and them fighting for their lives and fighting for they fighting for um being there and it was just so overwhelming being there and talking and telling you know what i think pro enough like one thing that i love about protests is that you get to speak your mind and that you you have a voice and that you can change things so um actually i do have a quote right here Um, that kind of goes into that and it was by um, the quote was made by William Faulkner and it is never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed if people all over the world would do this it would change the earth and I believe that with my whole heart because if you can't stand up for people who aren't being listened to how can you say that you truly love everyone um we need compassion is what we need Mm. so um that that was why I was there um just to let people know that I was standing with them um and 
you know, show the school that we can be better than this because um, I went to a school out in the country, um, very conservative. And by us going, it showed them that there's so much more out there than small minded thoughts and just think outside yourself. Um, And you know what? Everyone is welcome in the United States. That's the whole point. They came here so people can have free will and do as they please and do what they want and think what they think. And yeah, that I believe that with my full, I believe that with my whole heart. So that's why I was there. I think that March kind of stands for um, something which I think is really important too, that it's like, it's not just about immigration. It's about cultural acceptance and even, you know, uh, like families who have been here for multiple generations, but like they're Muslim or they come from a Middle Eastern country or a South Asian country, like they can feel a lot of those same like cultural rejections as a first generation immigrant because their culture isn't accepted. And I think like we, especially like um, we who come from Christian backgrounds take for granted all the ways that like our our religious principles are respected in the United States and we don't see how like um, uh, how Muslims when they come here are often like rejected or ostracized and, and it's you know even just microaggressions for wearing hijabs or burqas or things like that and I think mm-hmm. like you know like going to an immigration march is also just about cultural acceptance and and allowing other influences um to be respected as well Mm -hmm. but another thing is it just shows like they only had problems with immigration when it was people who were black and brown Um, they didn't have any problem with immigrants coming from russia because they were white Canadians Um, or yes yes and the whole thing with the build the wall you just said that because they are brown and from mexico but you know what there are more illegal immigrants from Canada oh yeah and they're not making any comments about that because the majority of them are white um so that's that's one thing I have to say about that (laughs) all right Gavin tell us about your experiences with protests so I have only been to a couple I went to the women's march in Midland probably it would have been three years ago now I believe so I went with one of my professors from SB and it was my first experience at a protest. And it was, it was a lot of people who um, think the same. They see that the system has been rigged against women for so long that it was time for, for think I think, a lot of those people thought it was time for change and it's nice being around people like that and knowing and knowing that you're not alone in in your thoughts and i think that kind of leads us into that next section as to why protests have always been and will always be important to democracy we kind of see that we aren't alone and that there are people out there who think like us and it kind of gives, gives a voice to minority groups that they might not have. A, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then absolutely. the last, the last kind of thing oh. that I think protests are important for they they plant seeds that they they may not sprout today, but generations from now, you may be lighting the fire for a new revolution. You know. I think mm-hmm. one yeah, definitely. one quote that I have kind of highlights that, and I don't remember where I got it from, but it goes like this. Some seeds produce their fruits in a short time, but the most valuable of seeds, like the venerable oak, are centuries in growing. And it just goes to that. The best ideas don't come overnight they are planted generations ago, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think there's an argument for the best governments 
um, take a long time and are willing to grow and change in that way as well. Like if a government's set up overnight, it's probably not very stable. So it's, <laughs> um, I think that's applicable yep. in a lot of ways. For sure. So do you guys want to move on to our next segment? Yes. Okay. Give us the history, Ariana. <laughs> <laughs> so our next segment is uh, historic protests. And we each um, picked a couple. And the ones that I had picked were um, the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City and Ferguson. So the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City um, occurred during the civil rights movement. And this is when um, Olympic runners, sprinters actually, um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fists in the air um, and they had won the gold and the bronze medal. And they had done this because they were not happy with with the progress that was made in the civil rights movement and they and they used their platform to bring awareness to it um and the fist is actually like the black power symbol and one thing that a lot of people don't know about this is that you notice that they're both wearing um gloves on the opposite hands and a lot this picture is well known this photo it's everywhere and the third person in the photo is actually Peter Norman who is an Australian sprinter and he um, was white and he was the one who actually gave them the gloves and stood in solidarity with them because he believed what they believed in and one thing for sure is even if technically injustice for one is injustice for all in he agreed with those two sprinters that the civil rights movement needed to keep going forward and it needed progress and there was not enough awareness around it or attention towards it. And there's no better way to bring attention to it than, and than on the world stage, everyone looks at the Olympics, the summer Olympics, especially. And you, you know what? It just also shows this protest it faced a lot of backlash, um, but it was it was actually um, it was a sign of motivation and inspiration for the black community. But for uh, Peter Norman, it, he actually got a lot of um, backlash from that. Um, but again, that just shows that injustice for one is injustice for all, and that even when you feel uncomfortable, you need to stand up for what you believe in. And just think about all people and use your platform for good. But the next one, this one actually kind of goes back to um, Governor Whitmer. But this one happened in 2014, and this was in Ferguson, Missouri. And it was when um, Michael Brown, he was an 18-year-old black male, was shot dead in the street by an officer named um, Darren Wilson. And this occurred after... Um, Michael Brown and his friends were walking down the street. They weren't on the sidewalk and the officer approached them and said, Hey, like you need to get on the sidewalk, blah, blah, blah. But it actually turned into an altercation and he shot, um, he shot Michael Brown. And the thing about it that uh, makes me so angry besides him being shot is that his body was on the, it was on the cement. It was in the road for hours. And this occurred in August. So, First of all, that that wasn't, oh my gosh, I'm losing words because it just makes me so angry that the color of your skin just makes you a target and that people in power can um, not use it for good. But the one thing that occurred out of this situation is protests. And these protests had... Um, they actually had the National Guard come in and because most of them were black and brown and they had they were shooting people with rubber bullets and tear gas. And people were out there because they were angry of a community member, an innocent community member who was unarmed, being shot dead in the street. And rightly so. But the one thing it gained national attention. So that is why the National Guard and they had military vehicles, tear gas, sound cannons, and rubber bullets. And this is a key um, 
a pivotal turn in for the Black Lives Matter movement. But it just made me think about what happened at the Capitol the other day um, in Michigan. And I didn't see one police officer out there. I didn't see anyone being arrested or anything of that. But the difference between the two protests, quote unquote, is that one was all white. And the other thing is that it doesn't confuse me. It baffles me. It's that that, I'm not confused. I I completely understand why. But I the the protest that occurred at the Capitol, they literally had guns. There was there was nothing peaceful about that. But then when people are protesting for things that actually matter, like someone's life that was taken way too soon, um, then people begin to feel threatened and do things like shoot people with rubber bullets and tear gas. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a cause for a lot of anger because honestly, I mean, from a purely, from any point of view, it's, it's unsafe to allow people to assemble with their assault rifles like that, especially under your political passion of a protest. You know, it's not a protest if you have assault rifles and I just, it, it blows my mind that there were no police officers there to break that up. Like, that that just shouldn't have been possible. That shouldn't have existed. That's basically forming a militia or a mob if you have a bunch of people with guns with a, with a political anger motivating them. And then to specifically have signs saying, like, Governor Whitmer, take my gun or whatever, to specifically be targeting somebody, like, I mean, yeah, if those people were people of color, there's no way there wouldn't be cops there. <laughs> like, they would have been shot or arrested. Oh, yeah. Either, you know, both could have happened. But because there was no black or brown people out there, they were no threat, which and, is sad. And when you um, think about, like, but... the Black Panther movement in the, in the 60s, they were, they were carrying guns and weapons to protect themselves on the streets but every time they assembled Mm -hmm. and were carrying weapons it was a problem it was an issue they would they'd be disbanded right away because they weren't they weren't they didn't have white skin and the constitution almost doesn't protect them you know the constitution protects white people the Second Amendment only applies to white people. Uh, yeah. It, and you can see that in the Philando Castile case. He literally had a permit and he told the officer, and you know, what did they do? Shoot him dead. And you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's like, and I've I've heard this argument so many times, but like, like the Black Panther group is not comparable to any white supremacist group no. whatsoever at all. Because it's not the same. Like, like black power is not the same as white power. Black power is a symbol of strength and overcoming and a community that should be proud of everything they've accomplished. And white power is a joke. <laughs> and it, it should be considered dangerous because it's, I mean, quite frankly, you have to be out of your mind to be a white supremacist. Like, you have to not be looking at the world around you. And, and and it well, is dangerous. And to it's think scary. That it's so... scary too that YouTube provides a platform for these types of people and that you can go down that rabbit hole and get and become radicalized by by people and by an algorithm that keeps feeding you these same these same videos, these same types of ideas. And it it's creating a very dangerous landscape for people who don't have white skin you know right yeah it it is and it's it's that like it's that whole like a little bit of knowledge is really dangerous and I think that's where it comes into play with all especially like I feel like it's something that like a lot of like like lonely white men who like I feel like they get trapped (laughs) into this and so then they read these books and they think that they're being an intellectual and it's like you're not intellectual you're just alone and and you and you're looking for an outlet for it and it's like and i mean 
it's just sad and dangerous because like filling your head with radical ideas is just dangerous but but then these people are protected by law enforcement they can have assault rifles and go to the capital and no one stops them and it's like how is that not how is that not an issue how are people not afraid of that but another thing that made me angry about that is that they were actually blocking roads to get to the hospital. Yeah, what? Like, it's laughable because it's so crazy. I how how are you like you know I'm a protest system. Da da da. We we need to care about people's lives and businesses. Da 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 da. But then you're preventing someone from getting health care during a yeah. pandemic. It's come on now. <laughs> Y'all are grown and no better. And you know, the other thing is they had their children out there. You had your little children with no masks, no gloves, no nothing. And you know what? If you get corona, it was because you were outside and not indoors. It would be. Yeah, it's it, your it would fault. be poetic justice. <laughs> it would be. It's, no, it's I don't the irony. I don't, but I it yeah, it you're opening yourself up to it, especially at a protest. <laughs> like what? Come on. Not a protest, a rally. Let's call it what it is. But, all right. So, Gavin, you talked a little bit about this book. And the Jill Lepore book, that's the one that's about the history of yes. the United yep. States, right? Were you asked information? So, all right. Now that Ariana has given us some recent American history and world history on protests, Gavin's going to give us some foundational american history on protests. so basically jill lapore does a good job of she kind of starts in the era when the transatlantic slave trade has started and we're bringing slaves over on ships to grow tobacco and grow cotton and basically she leads up to the founding of America. And that is where I take this first um, kind of protest from. She outlines the different arguments of the time during the Revolutionary War. And one that I wanted to highlight was the Patriots versus the Loyalists. So basically, the Patriots were calling for liberty the famous line, give me liberty or give me death. You see that starting to become prominent within that time. Um, So just going off of that, you see that um, this nation is being born out of protest. Jill Lepore does a good job of highlighting this group of loyalists in the book who support the British cause so there's always there's always this group that opposes kind of progress and where we're going. And a lot of the patriots were protesting. They were protesting taxes. They were protesting. There was they didn't want to be taxed without representation within the British government. Um, so one of the main main arguments that loyalists make in this time or during this time is that they believed the nation was too weak to raise a navy and protect itself. So there was there was there were concerns that we weren't going to be able to found a nation and protect itself, and that makes sense. But what the patriots were arguing was that the nation had become too powerful to be ruled by an island thousands of miles away. And what what one thing hmm. Thomas Paine talks about in common sense in one of the one of the quotes I loved, I loved from Common Sense was, small islands not capable of protecting themselves are the proper objects for kingdoms to take under their care. And he's talking about Great Britain. But there is something very absurd in supposing a continent to be perpetually governed by an island. In no instance hath the yes. nature made the satellite larger than its primary planet. And as England and America, with respect to each other, reverses the common order of nature, it is evident they belong to different systems, England to Europe, America to itself. And I think that Hmm. he he does such a good job in common sense of arguing for the, 
the founding of a new nation because we had to. We had to create a government that was going to have to be able to oversee these 13 new colonies. And there was no way that Great Britain was going to be able to govern over these new these new colonies. So an, another argument of the time was between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And basically what they were arguing over was a Federalist was a person who advocated or supported the system of government in which several states unite under a central authority. And they wanted to unite under a central government, which was, of course, even back then, almost radical because we had kings, we had monarchies, um, we had tyrannies, and we were trying to escape tyranny. And one of the hmm. arguments that the anti-federalists make and who they were, they were a loose political coalition of popular politicians, such as Patrick Henry, who unsuccessfully opposed the, the strong central government envisioned in the Constitution of 1787. And during that time, the Federalist Papers come out. And that's an 85-page collection of articles and essays. And they're created by um, James Madison as a plea to the states to ratify this. Alexander yes, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton created a, he creates this <laughs> plea to the states to ratify the U.S. Constitution and unite under one federal government. So one of the quotes I take from Federalist Number 1 goes like this. It has been frequently remarked that it seems to have been reserved to the people of this country by their conduct and example to, des to decide the important question whether societies of men are really capable or not of establishing good government from reflection and choice, or whether they are forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. And I, I think that kind of outlines hmm. the major argument at the time of whether or not people could govern them, govern themselves, and whether or not they could be trusted in doing so. So I, hmm. and I think you see you see that hmm. argument even today. You see people arguing for for less government, and you you could see it even in the protest a few days ago that they were people were making the argument that Whitmer was infringing upon their rights, their individual rights, making them stay inside and that government was overreaching. So I mean which is so ironic, especially for Michigan, because like we're a poor state altogether. Like our like Michiganders are bailed out by a lot of government programs. Like so, like, if unemployment just stopped for Michigan or any of the numerous federal programs that, like, Michiganders rely on just stopped, like, I mean, our, our state would stop. Like, we don't have the automotive industry anymore. We mm -hmm. have really any, like, booming business. Like, we're, we're a poor state, like, compared to a lot of the country. So, like, it just kind of blows my mind that there are so many people who – are anti-big government because, like, that will literally rip the rug out from under us if we lost federal government support even. And, and even for the coronavirus, like we, like, we received a lot of federal funding to supplement our state funding because we didn't have a lot of state resources. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just kind of crazy to me that there are people who are really protesting that this. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like if we didn't have government support right now. <laughs> It'd be and a I mess. Think, it really I think would that be. kind of goes along with trying to make college accessible. Like we had talked about before, I mean, people don't understand that type of stuff. You know, they, I come from a small town in the thumb and what we learned was an outdated history of the United States. We didn't learn philosophy. We didn't learn like how governments are supported. We didn't learn how taxes worked, you know, those types of things that I've learned 
later on in my education. And I, I think a lot of people Hmm. don't understand that type of stuff. And you can kind of see it when they're almost arguing against what's good for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, like I, I do think it's, it's a big sense of distrust. Um, Like, and, and sometimes I think it's because maybe like they couldn't get into college or they couldn't afford it. So like you're saying, so they feel like they're ostracized by this way of thinking, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's really important to get an outside perspective and college is a really good way to do that. Mm -hmm. And, And Gavin, like you were saying earlier, you having access to books and reading outside during your free time um, taught you a yes, lot. Uh, taught you a lot, time. correct? And it just shows the disadvantage that a lot of groups have when they don't have yeah. the resources yep. that they need. Especially, yeah, uh, yeah. especially yeah. in in poor neighborhoods, and you see that all across America. So, I mean. Yeah. Rural poverty, my, my family and I talk about this a lot. Like rural poverty is really scary. And like my dad has worked in a lot of like different urban poverty programs and like it's, it obviously has a lot of really scary, terrible elements to it as well. But with rural poverty, it's like, like there's almost this sense that there is no law. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like when you're not around a lot of a lot of resources like you have in a city there is this sense that like literally anything could happen and there have been and I'm not just basing this off of like feelings I've had like like there's this town called Seaboing and there have been so many murders like that have happened between family members like just in the past couple years there was a girl at SVSU who was murdered by her dad and she was from Seaboing and like in small towns in the thumb like that happens where it's like family members who kill each other and it's it's scary like it like i think people don't even understand how much like poverty oh it can big time i think i yeah i kid you not starting off in 2020 the tuscola county advertiser led with an article that kind of outlined the um they had the murder rate from tuscola county in 2019 and it had almost tripled i think during that from 2018 yeah and i don't oh my god they kind of talked about um lack of funding for mental health institutions because in caro there there's a there's a few different there were a few different hospitals there that have been shut down now but they were for like they were to mentally rehab patients and try and get them back into society. And those have all but shut down. They're shuttered and closed. And just seeing that type of stuff happen in rural areas, it's, it's alarming because they're there. Rural poverty is real and it is scary because I've seen those people who think they live without rules. They live without law. And those are the types of people who are scary when things go, go bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you've got to think like, even if in increments, there were more mental health resources, there's more healthcare resources for people like, like I might be optimistic, but I really do think it would help. I really do think if generations grew up having someone that they could trust, that they could talk to that, that there would be decreases in terrorism and, and gang activity and, and violence overall and negative attitudes towards people of other cultures and negative attitudes towards women. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't feel so brutally alone, you don't have to take that loneliness and put it into an, to a violent outlet or, or something where you feel like you can outpour that. And, and I think it's important that people don't feel alone. So that doesn't happen. And I, I almost wish my mom were on this because she is a psychiatric nurse and 
I hear her talk about losing funding. It it seems like a conversation we have every year. They're getting cut, cuts, funding's getting cut again, again, and it's like. Of all the things we aren't properly funding, why are we not taking this seriously and funding mental health? Why are we not taking care Mm -hmm. of our people? Yeah. If you don't have your mental health, you can't function as a person. And I don't think a lot of people realize how important mental health is. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this generation is starting to address mental health more than past generations. I, um, I think so. Covering it up. Yeah. But I think it's also because it's been yeah. so much worse. With our, it's getting like progressively worse, I think as well. And I think the internet has had a lot of, a lot to do with that. So it's, definitely, definitely yeah. there, there is research that shows how detrimental, um, social media and the internet can be for people's um, mental health because of the constant comparison mm-hmm. of yourself to others. It's been yeah. the teenage wasteland. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this has been a long digression yeah. <laughs> from the hypocrisy of the experiment, but <laughs> thank you for entertaining that thought experiment of what it would be like if we had followed yeah. anti-federalists <laughs> instead of the federal <laughs> the revolutionary war <laughs> so kind of the last thing i wanted to talk about was this this idea that people should be able to govern themselves that they can be trusted to govern themselves and make smart decisions and that's kind of what the american experiment was we wanted to see if the majority could rule and not inflict upon like the upon the minority in the u.s and i think you see a lot of hypocrisy in the first few decades of after the american revolution and so to start i think from 1770 to 1790 you see states beginning to draft their own constitutions Uh, Most of those drafts echo the Declaration of Independence, the famous line, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And each state begins conducting its own little political experiment. Some of their constitutions are more conservative, others are more liberal. Um, for example, Vermont constitution had actually banned slavery in 1777, stating that men might be indented as servants till the age of 21 or women till the age of 18, but no one past that age would be held in bondage. And this would have actually made Vermont the first state to abolish slavery. Wow. Except that in 1777, Um. Vermont was not a state but an independent republic at the time. It, did, it didn't join the what? union until 1791. Huh. Oh. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So when it became a state, did it was slavery then legal then? Nope, in 1791? It, was, it was abolished once they had their own constitution. And I believe there is a court case that went through the system or went through the Supreme Court, and let me see. So while you're looking that up, I just wanted to make this quick comment about Vermont that I've been thinking about for a while, Um, because I think about Vermont a lot in my spare time. Just kidding. But, um, like, (laughs) so Vermont and, and the New England region, they are, like, they're some of the most liberal areas in the United States. Um. But they are also one of the whitest areas in the United States. And I think that's so interesting. And I think it kind of shows how a lot of times, like, even, like, because we've been saying a lot about, like, the crazy white people, the white supremacist white people. But I think 
I, like, I don't want to demonize it completely because, like, it's so pervasive. Like, whiteness is something that exists even in people who don't think that they're being racist. And I think it's interesting that even the people who would call themselves liberal seem to be able to insulate themselves from minorities as well. And and so, like, even people who think that they're, like, woke or social justice oriented, they still find ways to have their area be completely free of and like, you, should, you know what you I'm saying? See like, in yeah, Jill Lepore's it, book, she highlights that and show and tells all these stories of slaves escaping to free states. But in these free states, none of the white people wanted them there. Nobody wanted them there. They wanted to abolish slavery, but they wanted them somewhere else. And you see that in hmm. every colony that's being that is ratifying a constitution at the time they they want to abolish slavery but they want to find a separate area for african americans to live and to not be next to them basically you know yeah and like one thing it kind of relates back to the book that i was reading on white supremacy um the author um layla was saying that you don't have to be a racist to read this book. This book is for white people who are liberals also and benefit from the system. Just saying that you're not racist and not using racial slurs is not enough to move forward, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And it, I think that relates completely to what you were saying about being on the East Coast and just because you are a liberal does not mean that you couldn't do more. Yeah. So I couldn't find the Supreme court case, but basically what we're talking about is this American experiment that we were supposed to have these, these rights. We were all created equal. And um, basically slaves start reading. They start reading about, these states constitutions and they read that men are created equal and that they have unalienable rights and a couple stories i stole from jill lapore's book i i have written down here that i just wanted to highlight bet is a slave in massachusetts at the time whose her husband fought in the revolutionary war she files a suit against the state in which she argues that the Massachusetts Constitution had abolished slavery. She had been a slave to a local judge who she overheard discussing natural rights with his law clerk. She uses a line from Article 1 of the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights to argue for her freedom, that all men are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties that of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and fine, that of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. She would go on to win that case and her liberty and took the new name of Elizabeth Freeman. And I just think that was kind of a... It, that, mm-hmm. I don't know how you can be more hypocritical than telling the people within your state that all men are created equal, except that man with black skin over there. He's not, he doesn't, he doesn't count. And I think you see that in during, during this time, the constitution becomes ratified, but framers make absolutely no mention of slavery in the constitution. And hmm. during that time, Jill Lepore, she, she highlights why this was. And a lot of the leaders believe that it would lead to the dissolution of the union and very rightly so because it does six decades later when the civil war breaks out so i mean it was Mm -hmm. thinking about these different types of battles and these different types of arguments that were going on at the time and the, the the protests that pop up after after people start hearing about slaves filing suits for their freedom, 
you see rebellions and protests and riots break out across all the colonies in America. And it becomes it mm-hmm. becomes the main reason as to why literacy laws are passed because they wanted to keep slaves from reading. They didn't want slaves to know their rights in America. They didn't want these people to know that they were created equal in the right in the eyes of their creator. So it's tough to say that this nation was not founded on hypocrisy and on false virtues and and racism. Racism. Yeah. And you, another thing, it just reminded me of a quote of one of my favorite professors. He says, history does not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And... <laughs> I don't <laughs> with that. But... <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. um, That, I think, kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier with, um, you can kind of tell a protest from a rally based on if you're, like, if, well, I guess you can tell, like, a negative protest from a positive one based on if it's for something or against something. And... I think when it comes to the the protests in the southern colonies that were that were protesting abolition and were protesting integration like that came later obviously um it like it was filled with hatred because it was it was against it, it was against something it, it was all about something that they didn't yeah. want to happen and, and I mm-hmm. think that's why it's important when going into like women's rallies or um like immigration rallies or environmental rallies to like really have the mindset of like, this isn't just an anti-Trump rally because you could easy, easily say the same thing about like an anti-Biden rally for a women's rally or whatever. Cause it's the <laughs> same things that Biden has done essentially that Trump has done towards women. He just yeah. covers it up better. But like what you're really going for is you're pro women. You're pro like support um, women and building women up. Gender. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you're pro the environment. You're pro the world you live in. You're not against people who use plastic bags. You're not against people who use plastic straws. You're pro a better world for people. And I think that's that's the best attitude to go into a protest with because like you'll always find something that you can be against, but it's it's a lot more edifying to everybody if you go thinking about what you're building towards, you know. Very true. Exactly. Wow. So I don't know. Do you guys want to end this with the poem from yes. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow? Yes. Heck yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. Let's go, Gavin. So going back <laughs> to the time when we were at the height of trying to abolish slavery, the Civil War had just broke out. Um things were ugly. The, the Southern states were succeeding. We had a lot of debt from the revolutionary war that had been built up. And Henry Wadsworth Longfellow writes this poem. It's called the building of the ship and the ship's name is union. Thou too sail on O ship of state sail on O union strong and great. Humanity, with all its fears, with all the hopes of future years, is hanging breathless on thy fate. We know what master laid thy keel, what workmen wrought thy ribs of steel, who made each mast and sail and rope, what anvils rang, what hammers beat, and what a forge and what a heat, were shaped the anchors of thy hope. Fear not each sudden sound and shock, tis of the wave and not the rock. Tis but the flopping of the sail, and not a rent made by the gale. In spite of rock and tempest roar, in spite of false light on the shore, sail on, nor fear to breast the sea. Our hearts, our hopes are all with thee. Our hearts, our hopes, our prayers, our fears, our faith triumphant over our fears, are all with thee, are all with thee. And I think... During that time, 
he writes this he writes this poem and it's almost it's um it it gives me hope because i can find solace in this type of this type of poem knowing that this ship has been sailing for a very long time and i think i think we are we're currently we're sailing through uncharted territory as a nation we have a climate crisis looming um half the economy shut down there's a pandemic sweeping the globe it can it can be difficult to find hope in these types of time and not turn towards despair but we've weathered storms like this Mm -hmm. in the past and you can see it in that type of poem from 200 years ago and I think all it takes is the right leader someone like Abe Lincoln to sail us out of despair and toward toward a bright new future something that gives us hope and I think I think that leader is out there I think I think she is out there I think she'll lead us out of this storm and once we're out the cannons the cannons will be ready y'all <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it also gives hope because like like there are always good people in every generation, right? And so like mm-hmm. and all the people who um did have good intentions during the time of the Civil War and were good people and worked towards freedom. Like I love that quote that Martin Luther King um said, like the arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice. Because I think Mm-hmm. That really encaptures how it's like, like it feels like it takes a long time and it feels like no age is perfect and no age is perfect, but like history is long and like, and, and, you know, it's a process, it's a journey. So, yes. This and too this shall, too shall pass. pass. Yep. Well, thank you so, so much, Gavin, for joining us on this podcast. This was a great conversation and i enjoyed it how are you Kayla? yeah quality content very very good <laughs> thank you guys very much for having me we will have to do it again yeah heck yeah i'm down and you know what this also this reminds me we are going to all three of us are going to go to a protest yeah. together and we are not going to let this <laughs> Michigan weather stop us. <laughs> we'll make it. I, hey, I heard there was one a few days ago. We could have went to that one. Yeah. You know what? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> After the... Well... <laughs> oh, my goodness. No way I would have been out there. <laughs> Okay, so I think we should end it on this note. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode. Yep. Thanks, y'all. Signing off.